And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Wednesday, November 22nd. Derek and Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we are going to dig into the top 15 remaining free agents. We have a great roundtable free agent rankings piece up at The Athletic right now. So we're going to work off of that list, basically removing Aaron Nola, since we know that he has returned to the Phillies on a seven-year deal. And we are going to, to the best of our ability, try and predict where top free agents are headed. It's a bit of a a game of dominoes, Will. You know, there's a few teams that are looking for the same kind of thing. and, And once the biggest domino falls, then the next few players in that group will probably fall into place. So if we somehow get like half of these right between the two of us, I feel like we've done a very good job. Half is a lot. Half is a ton. If we somehow (laughs) get half right. We get two guesses on every one as long as we don't double up, right? So we should really kind of spread the wealth around and try and uh, make sure we cover as many bases as possible. But if you're talking about free agency this winter, you're talking about Shohei Otani above all. And I'm going to frame it this way. Is Shohei Otani to the Dodgers inevitable at this point? Of course, you cover the Mets for the Athletic. And knowing that they are sort of hitting that reset button, new leadership, of course, with David Stearns now heading up baseball operations, there are some questions as to whether or not the Mets would go out and make a big splash in free agency this year, knowing that their window is a little bit more of like 2025 and beyond. So what do you think about Otani and the realistic possibility that he goes somewhere other than the Dodgers? Well, I'll address the Mets portion of that first. And I understand like the sentiment of maybe the Mets not necessarily punting on, say, 2024, but maybe taking a little bit of a step back. And I'm not sure if I could push back on that really much because it may turn out that their salary and payroll is going to be not far much lower than what it was, but just lower, right, than the highest marks in baseball history. Mm-hmm. But I think with Otani and Yamamoto, who I'm sure we'll talk about next, um, exceptions can be made, right? So <laughs> those two jump out to me as like, hey, that that's probably the exception here to whatever it is that their plan will be for the rest of the offseason. That said, Otani, as we know, has left no clues whatsoever on what he will do or what he plans to do, what he likes to do, um, anything like that, right? So we're here just guessing and grasping at straws and going back to his last free agency, which feels like so much long ago that it's like, you know, what do you even take from that? But yeah, I don't know if the daughter's inevitable or strong, but it sure seems like that, right? Um, it's, it sure seems like that's the appropriate way to frame the question because throughout all last year around this time, all we heard was the Dodgers resetting their payroll and just trying to frame their whole offseason, it felt like, to be in a position to, to strike on this. And how can you blame them? And I feel like even though he will not be pitching, he still... <laughs> the best player in baseball, right? And the bonus is that he could also play a different position at some point, if that's left field, perhaps. I don't know. I've asked some other people in baseball, and they seem to think so. Um, You know, executives around the league, they say, why not? I mean, he's a tremendous athlete. That's what people forget sometimes in in the calculus of looking at his player profile. So, yeah, I don't – inevitable is strong, but if if you're picking a team, it's the Dodgers. I I don't know if I would put my money on anybody else. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's where I've been the entire time going back into the early parts of the 2023 season for the reasons that you mentioned, right? The Dodgers were kind of setting themselves up seemingly to make this massive splash because we know the the financial commitment to Otani will probably be the biggest deal we've ever seen in Major League Baseball and, and for good reason, given what he brings to the table. And I love the point about the possibility if we reach a point in a 10, 12, 14 year deal, whatever it is that Otani gets where he can't pitch anymore, 
a position is absolutely possible, be that a corner outfield spot, first base, whatever. So some of the he's only a DH when he's not pitching that goes away if pitching somehow gets kind of pushed off to the side at some point. Let's move on to Yoshinobu Yamamoto. I'm really excited to see where he lands because the more you read into various sources, it sounds like there are genuinely like 10 teams, like pretty much all the teams that consistently spend money have been linked to Yamamoto in one place or another. And I think because of his age, there's a pretty good chance he's going to get even more money than Aaron Nola just got from the Phillies. We're talking about a guy that's got three Sawamura Awards, which is the equivalent of the Cy Young Award in Japan two Pacific League MVPs, amazingly low home run rates. The Arsenal's got a mid-90s fastball, a filthy splitter, pretty good curveball. Given the age, there's a ton to love here. So I look at Yamamoto, and I feel like you can choose your own adventure. Like You can say, which team is going to be the most aggressive with the best remaining pitcher-only free agent out there? And you could make a case for a lot of those teams. One thing I noticed is Yamamoto is represented by the Wasserman agency. They have Kodai Singa, who went to the Mets last offseason. I don't think that means that the Mets are a favorite, but it certainly helps to have recently negotiated a contract for a player like that. So what do you think about Yamamoto's path into Major League Baseball? And who do you think ultimately comes away with him? Yeah, you nailed it, Derek. I think what jumps out is the age. We just never see free agents enter. We never see players enter free agency at the age of 25 who are mm. very, very good. <laughs> so he's both of those things. He's, he's at the prime of his career. We're just entering it even, you could argue. And he's also already established himself as a very, very good pitcher, a promising pitcher, maybe the best adjective, right? Um, I mean, as far as Cody Sanger and the Mets, uh, I had reported like last month uh, just about the different factors that go into a, pers- a potential pursuit for the Mets. And now I could probably more confidently say that they are definitely interested in the guy. Um, but back then I was just looking at like, what would the pet factors be and how could they contribute to, you know, what that could look like for the Mets. And one was Kodai Senga. And from all accounts, I mean, I've heard that Senga is even pushing the front office to sign Yamamoto saying like, Hey, I want this guy. This guy's really good. I can vouch for him and I want to pitch alongside him. And that's not really a surprise because part of the appeal for Sango when he signed with the Mets was the ability to pitch alongside Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer even and the possibility of rotation getting even better. Um, that's gone away, of course, and he wants help. He's a, he's, a, he's a winning type of player that cares about team. Uh, as far as Yamamoto goes, I feel like he's going to, similar to Sango, be interested in potentially pitching in a bigger market. Um, that doesn't really cross out a whole lot of teams that we already knew were probably going to be in the mix, of course, uh, whether that be both the New York teams, Boston, uh, Chicago Cubs, maybe San Francisco Giants, even the Dodgers, of course. So it's like your regular list of teams that you would expect to be in on a guy like this. I like him a lot. I, I think that the two New York teams jump out to me, but the other teams I mentioned, particularly the Giants, may have a strong, strong say in, in, in changing that. Um, but I like him a lot as a pitcher. I talk about him a lot with evaluators around the game who see him as a frontline type starter, uh, number three sort of at worst, um, given the fact that he'll probably have to make some adjustments like any pitcher does coming from a different country. But yeah, everybody seems to like him. Everybody likes the way that not only his command of his stuff and just the, his uh, pitch to feel and just the ability to, to get outs, but also just the way he competes and the way that he has just shown in the past of really not getting down on himself when things turn and just staying in the moment and all those kind of intangible things that people also look for when you're saying to yourself, like, is this a guy who's going to make an adjustment and do well with all the obstacles and challenges that he'll have to face? Yeah, by all accounts, seems like someone that's going to handle that transition really well. For me, the biggest difference, you know, leaving Japan, coming to Major League Baseball, you lose the pre-tacked ball. And I think sometimes you see problems with command initially while a player adjusts. That's really the only like yellow flag that I always have with pitchers coming over from that league. But this stuff is frontline. And as you mentioned, being so much younger than many free agents, that's a huge part of the appeal. I think when I look at the the first question, the Otani question, say if it's not the Dodgers, I, I, the Cubs just seem like they're going into this this offseason with a different mentality. I mean, pulling the stunner of the offseason so far by luring Craig Council away from the Brewers and then shattering the 
the previous uh, high for a managerial contract like that. That was a pretty big surprise. I feel like if you're going to do something like that, you have to also put a more competitive roster together. And the Cubs to me seem like legit candidates for Otani, even though they might be second or third when it's all said and done. And I think that kind of nudges them up high in the order for Yamamoto, because when I look at the Cubs roster, I don't see a lot of frontline pitching coming to their system. I think this is something they have to address in free agency. And this might be a rare chance to get someone who could be an ace for several years. If you take Yamamoto and put him atop that rotation, move everybody else down a, a chair, right? Justin Steele, the number two, looks a lot better. Jamison Tyon is the number three, looks a lot better. And they might add two starters. They might add a top end guy and then add some depth. Maybe someone we're going to talk about a bit later on in this episode as well, because they have to replace Marcus Stroman or possibly bring him back as well. So I've got the Cubs as the team that lands Yamamoto. Uh, I'll make them my official pick. Uh, if you want to throw a team out there, other than the Cubs, we should cover as many bases as we can. Because I mentioned earlier, this is a very difficult exercise. I like the Cubs pick. Side note there, you mentioned the agency, Wasserman, representing both Kodai Senga and uh, Yamamoto. They also represent Suzuki over at Chicago. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard, Yamamoto doesn't mind playing alongside another Japanese player. And for some players from that country, that is an issue. For him, it, I'm told at least it, it won't be or it shouldn't be. So I like the Cubs too for that, for 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 those reasons, for some of those reasons and for all the ones that you outlined. But I'm going to stick and um, go with the New York teams. Can I do that? Can I pick both? Give both. <laughs> Not that they're both going to sign him, but can I just pick both there and just say he's going to wind up in New York? I'm going to allow it because we both took the Dodgers for Otani as the final call. I think, okay. I think that was the, yeah. the unofficial way we handled that. So we left one extra pick on the board. So you'll get Mets and Yankees here. I'll get the Cubs. And I think hopefully between the two of us, we've got this one pinned down. I think the most difficult player to evaluate among the top end free agents is Cody Bellinger. It's a really complicated case, had a great bounce back season with the Cubs, and we've seen some enormous peaks and valleys over the course of his career, and those low lows have really been there uh, in two of the last three seasons. But what he did with the Cubs on the surface looks fantastic, right? It's a 307, 356, 525 line, 26 homers, 20 steals, great run production, almost 100 RBIs and runs, just fell short of those. But really like a five-category guy for fantasy players, a great defender in center field. The problem if you look at the underlying numbers, comes in a career low barrel rate, 6.1%. And my first thought when I see that is, oh, well, maybe he hit the ball on the ground more than usual and he was hitting the ball really hard, but he was just you know, topping it. Nope, 31.4% hard hit rate. He wasn't hitting the ball hard and hitting it on the ground. He just wasn't hitting the ball hard nearly as often as we'd seen in the past. So the early projections for Bellinger have him at a 256, 321, 449 line. That comes from Steamer. It's the first public facing set over at Fangraphs. If you think about Bellinger and you really forecast that as his 2024 line and you're talking about a multi-year deal, there's really nowhere to go but down. That's not a very exciting place to start. Now, everything I said before that kind of explains why that projection is so complicated and why it could be so noisy. So where do you fall on Bellinger? He's a great defender in center field. That alone could make him a productive player for three, four, maybe even five more years. And then if the bat gets back to 2023 levels or even the previous MVP levels, you've got a lot of ceiling on the offensive side that he could still reach. You're, you're paying for the two-way value in center field, right? Which is scarce. It just it doesn't really exist. And I did a deep dive on that uh, last winter because the Mets were looking to re-sign Brandon Nimmo. And I said to myself, okay, like, where is the market for this? And and would this be a smart play for the Mets? Turns out like, you know, the, something they kind of had to do because they didn't really have another option. And they were still in a mode of like, hey, we need to go all in here. We have this type of veteran roster, all that type of stuff. They had to make the move. And you know, largely it, it's a contract that should work out. But for an off season where they spent probably a lot of money on short-term deals um, that people criticized, a couple of years from now, the Nimmo deal may be the one that people criticize. I don't know. But it, it just shows you that, like, there just aren't many guys who, who are playing center field these days who, one, stay healthy and also play defense and supply some offense for you. They, they just don't really exist. Um, there aren't many of them. He qualifies as a big one. And I'm with you. It's hard to make out, like, what those numbers mean because, like, you have those couple of seasons that it's like the Christian Yelich thing, right, like, that we've talked about for years. 
you don't really have a great sense of projections year to year because it's just so different. And like you make projections off of the last few years, that's where they come from. So it's hard to, it's hard to, to take a guess like that. So I don't know. It's hard to put too much into it, but I, I, I wouldn't feel great about the underlying stats that you mentioned. Um, they don't really paint the, the rosiest picture that said, he's not going to have trouble finding money. Um, and I, and I think it's probably going to be a team like either, you know, the giants or the Yankees, um, who, who have to make that sort of splash eventually that they've been like talking about and never doing particularly the giants for that matter. Like they, they, they've got to make a move somehow here. Um, and I look at the Yankees as well as a team that they're not going to sit. I just don't see them sitting idly after the season that they had, of course, right. They're going to make some major moves and I feel like that could be one of them. Yeah, those are the two teams I was kind of kicking around going back and forth. If he doesn't stay with the Cubs, I I was at the first pitch Arizona it's a fantasy baseball conference a couple of weeks ago. And I think one of the things that came up that made a lot of sense to me was the idea that Bellinger should stay in a place where he's comfortable or choose to go to a place where he's comfortable. Clearly, that was the case with the Cubs. And if the dollars make sense and the years make sense, like staying there might be the best thing for his value. I think about Bellinger in the Bronx and I wonder, like, is he... He's the kind of guy that is like just calm enough to block out the noise, or would it actually get to him? Because the park would be a great fit for him. Like if you're looking at a guy that has some stack cast concerns and wondering how the power is going to age, put that left-handed bat in that ballpark with the short porch, and the concerns about that problem dissipate pretty quickly. They definitely have the need. Since you're kind of bouncing on those two teams, I'll say Yankees. I'll put you down for the Giants because it makes sense. It's going to look weird if Cody Bellinger is in a Giants uniform. You don't see a lot of free agents jumping between those two teams, but making that stop in Chicago first maybe makes that just a little bit easier to deal with. If there was a sleeper team, one that came to mind for me was Minnesota. I love the idea of Bellinger in Minnesota because I have a lot of questions about Byron Buxton staying healthy and playing center field consistently. I know... They've talked about it being the plan for 2024, but I think Bellinger being able to play first base as well would really fit that roster well and you know could be a, a sneaky team that could get in there. But I, I think it's probably one of the Yankees or the Giants if we're hammering it out to our, our two selections. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to Blake Snell. Blake Snell's next stop is kind of fun to, to speculate on. And uh, I, of course, am not Blake Snell's agent, uh, but we talked about him a little bit on the 3-0 show last week. And and one of the concerns that, that Bridget Rowley brought up is just that Blake Snell doesn't often pitch as deep into his starts because he walks a lot of guys, pitch count gets run up. And I, I think some of that's a little bit overblown. That's always been the conversation around Blake Snell. It kind of goes back to his removal from the, the World Series start. Uh, with the Rays a few years back. And if you look at the number of, of six inning starts, six plus inning starts from Blake Snell in 2023, he took the ball 32 times, 20 of the starts were six or more innings. And that's right in line with a lot of other great starters. Justin Steele, 22 times in 30 starts. Aaron Nola, who we all love for his durability and ability to get deep into games, 22 of his 32 starts. Spencer Strider, 21 of his 32 starts. Kevin Gossman, 21 out of 31 starts. And Corbin Burns, 21 starts out of his 32, went six-plus innings. So if Blake Snell's right there with 20 starts out of his 32 that went that deep, are we worrying too much about the bad outings? I looked at the possible blow-ups, too. He only had two starts in which he failed to go four innings. So I don't think Blake Snell's walk problem wreaks as much havoc on a bullpen as people believe that it does. 
You could also look at that the other side as far as the innings go and say to yourself, okay, well, he doesn't have all that wear and tear on him either, though, right? Like if you're looking at it from that out, from that side of it, he's not one of those guys who the past few years has led the league in innings. Um, he's not one of those guys that maybe you're thinking, well, he's got a whole whole lot of workload. He's got a whole lot on his shoulders. You know, it's 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 almost I don't want to say the complete opposite, but it, it's not that right. And I feel like sometimes like when we try to do these things, whether it's on a show or an article or whatever the case is, we look for these warts and these players and say, okay, that's the reason I don't like that guy. And like, okay, well, there's also the other side of it. Like, Hey, like, okay. If you are his agent, you're, you're touting the fact that he just won a Cy Young and he has multiple Cy Youngs and he doesn't have, you know, all that tread on his tires. You know, it's, 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 it's a promising outlook from that end. Sometimes, you know, I look at Blake Schnell and I just get reminded of those nightmare outings too often. Um, after I say all that, it's like I still go back to that. So it's like, yeah, I, I do kind of see what you're saying there. Um, I, I love how just explosive his stuff was when he burst onto the scene with the Rays. And it was cool to see him ride the ship this past season and, and get on the role that he did. Uh, he's somebody that I, I haven't really dove too much into with the market just because I, I don't get a strong feel that he's part of the Mets plans. So it's, he's somebody that I kind of backed off on a little bit. Um, watch, they, they sign him next week or something. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, he fits a lot of teams, though, of course, right? Because like we're saying at the beginning of the conversation, there are so many teams looking for starting pitching. He's right at the top of the market. If, you're, if it's not Yamamoto, it's probably him. And he can make a strong case. I'm sure Scott Boris is that he is the number one pitcher in the market. Um, so you can you can look all over the place. I mean, teams like the obvious ones that we mentioned before, but also you know a team like the Red Sox, even or a wild card for me would be somebody like the Diamondbacks if they could, if they could look to do, make a massive move like that. I don't know what their budget is looking like, but I do know that their GM talked a lot about not having that extra starter or that starter in the in the playoff run for them and, and in the world series in particular. So I look at those guys as, as a complete wild card, but I, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, a team like Boston or one of the other teams that we mentioned, of course, ends up at the end of the day with him. Yeah. I, I think it's just strange to have this guy who's won two Cy Young awards and, and the air around him is sort of pessimistic, relatively speaking. Uh, I wonder if he'll follow Bob Melvin North, stay in the NL West and, and go to the giants. And, and part of my thinking is that, you know, I expect the Giants to be in on Yamamoto, and if I have them falling short there, Snell might be the next best option they can get. And the Giants have spent so much time in the Farhan Zaidi era living in the bargain bin of pitching. And I think they need that boost to put alongside Logan Webb. Like I start to think about that combination of starters and the way they've struggled to get enough quality innings out of guys like Descafani and Alex Wood and Sean Manaya. Injuries are a big part of the story. It's why they get discounts on those guys. But I wonder if Blake Snell might actually be a really good fit there. Keeps him on the West Coast and uh, keeps him in a pitcher-friendly environment that should keep the home run rate down. Because I, I say this all the time. I feel like you can get away with one of the two skills flaws. You can either give up homers or you can have an issue with walks. If you have both, you have a major problem on your hands. And you can see some of that in the years where Snell's had home run trouble. He's been much worse. Like kind of basic level analysis, but I think choosing to go to a park where home runs uh, get suppressed would be a good choice for Blake Snell. So I'll put him in San Francisco. Uh, do you have a final call for where you think he ends up? Yeah, after all that, I'm going to probably go with the Cardinals of all teams, right? <laughs> the, the ones mm -hmm. I didn't mention there, but I just, I, I think of them, I know they're making some moves for the bottom of their rotation a little bit, getting some depth, getting some innings guy, inning eater type pitchers, but they, they need somebody else there. And then they cannot, Look, the season that they had last year was an utter disappointment by any standard, but for them, that's like you know the world ending. So it it has to it has to push them to make some significant moves, and I feel like that's one that makes some sense. So you know, from my mind at least, yeah, I think that's a potentially great fit too. I mean, you talk about a team that has really struggled to miss bats with their rotation in recent years. Blake Snell does that. You can get a little more swing and miss. That could go a long way. We'll see what they're able to do with some of the younger guys they brought in. Of course, they already added Lance Lynn for some volume, but it seems like at least one more starter and possibly two, depending on who they get, will be headed to St. Louis here over the course of these next few months. 
I actually thought the next guy we're going to talk about made sense for a possible return to St. Louis. That's Jordan Montgomery. And Jordan Montgomery is one of those guys that you could put on pretty much any roster right now because his strength, of course, is durability. 524 and a third innings since the start of 2021. Those are just the regular season innings. That ranks him 17th among all starters. If you look at pitchers who've thrown at least 300 innings during that span, he's got a 16.2% strikeout minus walk percentage. That ranks 52nd. So it's not quite as good. It's just more about the volume he brings. When someone like that pitches well in the playoffs, they tend to get an extra boost in free agency. Good for him. I hope he gets every single dollar he deserves. This is going to be his best chance to, to cash in. So I bounced around. He, he said some really nice things about St. Louis, the organization, building some friendships uh, around the time he was traded to Texas earlier this year. A return there is absolutely possible. But I actually played the getting close to home card on this one, Will. And I feel really bad about it because I don't, I don't think it matters. I think when you're that rich, it really doesn't make a big difference unless you've got maybe some extenuating circumstances with your family. I put Jordan Montgomery in Atlanta. It's the South Carolina kid, closest kind of spot he could reasonably go to be near home. It's an Atlanta team that could use some innings. And I think when you look at the Braves, Strider, Freed, Morton, you know, Morton's age, especially, you just wonder how many, how many more quality seasons does he have? Is he in danger of finally breaking down again? Montgomery would be a really good fit there because he would take some pressure off some of the younger guys between AJ Smith Shaver, uh, Hurston Waldrip. They've got young pitching on the way, but not necessarily relying on them heavily in 2024 might be their best path forward. So it's a little bit of a, a step away from a lot of the teams I've seen linked to Jordan Montgomery, but I'm curious where you want to place him. You're making Atlanta look awfully good again. That's for sure. And I don't know. I, I I like the fact that they're that they've cleaned the roster space a little bit. They've subtracted some payroll as well. Like it looks like they're on the verge of doing some some things, right? Mm-hmm. So I I could see that. Um, I'm not totally surprised by that. Uh, but. I, I like him going back to Texas. I, I do. I just feel like they're the defending World Series champs. It all worked for them. They're going to want to be back in it again, and they're going to have to spend again to to address some areas, um, particularly the the rotation again with Montgomery being a great fit. I, I feel like you you just can't. It's hard to let him go after that. And the only other team that comes to mind that we haven't really talked about. Maybe the Yankees as well, uh, as far as like potential reunions go. Maybe um, he was one of those guys who looked pretty good, and I was kind of surprised when they made that trade for with with Bader. I, I kind of got it at the same time because of like we said about the center field. Uh, there, there aren't many of those, so if you if you thought he was going to be one of those guys, okay, um, they were kind of proven wrong with what his potential could be. Montgomery, that is. So I don't know what his feeling is on that. Um, that aside, it's a fit. But I, I like the Rangers. Uh, I, I like the Rangers for him. They're like I said, they're the defending World Series champs. You're going to spend some money again, and I think we should uh, we should recognize them as such. A clear need as well to just make sure they've got enough quality innings in that rotation. So I could see that being a, a landing spot for Montgomery as well. I think the teams that are interested in Jordan Montgomery are largely going to be interested in Sonny Gray. Since I have Montgomery leaving Texas, I actually had Sonny Gray going to the Rangers, and part of my reasoning for that will is that. This is kind of the the bucket the Rangers shop in in free agency. This tier two uh, elevated injury risk group, and, and Gray certainly has that. You know, it's 439 innings since the start of, of 2021, which is actually a little more than Blake Snell has thrown during the regular season during that time. So my my concerns about Blake Snell are actually injury related, not walk rate related. If we're trying to kind of put a bow on that from earlier, so we're talking about a guy in gray that's topped 150 innings twice in the last five full seasons. So we're going back to 2018 in this case. Good skills, though, slightly better than Montgomery in terms of of K minus BB percentage which is pretty big for me, 17.3 percent over the last three years. Uh, So I think gray, if, if the Rangers get Montgomery, I could see Sonny Gray ending up in Atlanta for all of the same sort of reasons. I think he's going to be a relative bargain in tier two because he's a little bit older. He didn't have that deep playoff run like Montgomery. And I think teams are rightfully going to be more cautious because of the variety of different injuries that Gray has dealt with over the course of his career. 
Yeah, he he was actually on my list for Atlanta options. So it's it's kind of flip flopping with you there. Um, but so like that's why I kind of smiled when you mentioned uh, Montgomery for Atlanta, and I hesitated a bit because I was like, oh well, you know, the next guy for me is is right there too. Um, Gray is so interesting though because like you look at his uh, baseball reference page and it's like he's pitched everywhere well except for New York. So I guess you could cross those guys out. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't see that happening. Um, <laughs> But everywhere else, he's he's been good. He's been he's been really sh- he's been pretty sharp. Um, so I, I like him. I think he's like the the best pitcher of this group that comes next uh, because you kind of like know what you're getting. Um, he, he, I don't think he excites you like as far as you know jumping off the page with his potential. But but you know what's there, and what's there is a pretty good package that you could put into your rotation and kind of be like, okay, this solidifies us a little bit. Um, this this makes us a little bit whole. So I, I like him, and I think he he provides that for for Atlanta and teams like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a great summary of what Sonny Gray can bring to the table. And very curious to see just how the the years and dollars compare to Jordan Montgomery when the dust clears here. Uh, once these guys are both signed, I will mention one more time. This is a a ranking we're working off of from the uh, from the Athletic. And you can get a subscription, $1 a month, actually, through the end of the weekend. We've got a special holiday deal going right now. Theathletic.com slash baseball show gets you in the door. That was a roundtable put together by Keith Law, Tim Britton, Aaron Gleeman, Eno Saris, and Jim Bowden. They're kind of aggregate rankings, sort of putting these players in the order that we're discussing them in today. They go 40 deep. We're going to go to like 15 on this episode because we're going to probably run out of time. <laughs> That's going to prevent us from going any further than that. Uh, let's talk about Matt Chapman for a bit, Will. I think he's a really interesting player because he had great underlying numbers, kind of the opposite of Cody Bellinger. Stackhouse numbers look good. The results were not. And I did a little more digging on Chapman a few weeks back, and a big part of it was he wasn't pulling his barrels. When you barrel the ball, you should pull the ball. Easier to hit a home run when you pull it than when you try to go to center field or to go oppo. The only question I have about what happened to Chapman in 2023 was whether it was an adjusted approach or whether it was like a slightly reduced amount of bat speed, right? If you're a little late on stuff, you're going to hit it up the middle and go the opposite way a bit more and not be able to pull it as often. The good news with Matt Chapman is that you're talking about a guy who still brings gold glove defense to third base. So that alone gives him a great floor for a longer term deal. Plenty of teams could use a guy like Chapman. I saw that the Nats, Rockies, and Brewers project today as the three worst teams in terms of what they have available at third base so far. I think Brewers fans out there are saying, yes, we need Thump. We'd love to have a great defender like Chapman. I don't think they're going to spend to that level on a free agent, so I hate to disappoint you, Brewers fans. I don't think that's going to happen. I actually see the Cubs kind of swooping in here on Matt Chapman. I think this could make a lot of sense for them because they don't really have a third baseman right now. Christopher Morrell is going to play some first base in winter ball. He doesn't really have a defensive position anyway. So Chapman would be a huge upgrade for them. You know, James Triantos had a great fall league. He's playing a lot less third base as he moves up through their system. So I think you're getting a guy that immediately upgrades your defense and probably gives you more at the plate, at least in 2024 and 2025, than he gave the Jays in 2023 because the underlying contact quality numbers are still very good. Yeah, for, for me, I like... Um... I like the Cubs for it. I also like the Giants for for Chapman. Um, you know, I see the Giants as a team that too often they've tried this platoon situation, particularly at that position, other positions as well. Um, and I don't, I just don't see like it's worked out that one year they had, they had the hundred win season. It worked out great, but parts of me just wonders like how appealing that is year after year to friends and like to just people like just other executives with trades, that kind of thing. It's like, it's, it's a hard sell for some guys. And I think at some positions you need to take that, that gamble or that risk on a player that solidifies a certain area for you in a, in a significant way. And for me, like Chapman can do that uh, because of the gold glove caliber defense that he brings. Some executives will say that it's still a offensive first position, but others will push back on that and say like, look, you know, and it, it, the game's evolving here and like we need more of a defensive presence at that spot so i feel like the game is i don't want to say 50 50 but it's getting to a shift where you know more and more teams are looking at defense for that for that spot more than they would have years ago um so i, I think he's appealing to a lot of teams to me the cubs make sense but i feel like the giants do too it does feel like a winter where the giants need a couple of w's in free agency and, and shaking up that approach beyond the pitching staff 
seems like a thing they'd be willing to do. The team that has deep pockets, it'll be very interesting to see if they start spending a bit more. And they've been uh, runners up on a few major free agents uh, last offseason in particular. Giants fans still probably pretty angry about how it played out with both Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa. Probably a little less angry about the Correa situation given how 2023 unfolded for him. But uh, a guy they would have liked to have had nonetheless. And I think when you look at Chapman, if they believe Marco Luciano is a long-term shortstop, then signing Chapman to play third base still fits, right? If they are skeptical of Luciano being able to stay at short, they could always move him to a corner outfield spot too. That might be part of their their calculus as far as whether or not they want to bring Chapman into the fold. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Back to starting pitchers. This is a tough one, Will. Eduardo Rodriguez, I think he fits as a, a Tier 2 starting pitcher. I think you can look at his skills and you can kind of put him in the same, same category as a Sonny Gray or as a Jordan Montgomery. Uh, we do have a, a more complicated injury history i mean we're talking about a guy that i think missed 2020 for myocarditis had some knee injuries really early in his career but he's been a little more durable than you'd expect based on where things started for him i look at a team like arizona and think that you know tommy henry is their only projected lefty right now i don't know if he's necessarily a guy that's more than a swingman for them they could use one more starter i love the the combination of gallon Kelly and fought, but I, I really like the idea of getting one more starter in there. And I don't think they're going to be in on the very best free agent starter. So I think this is the range that they're probably going to have to work in. Uh, what do you think about Erod? And I think we can safely rule out the Dodgers, of course, after he nixed that trade to LA back at the deadline. But there's probably seven or eight teams that would be interested. It's just a question to figure out what actually works for him. Well, I remember Ken uh, Rosenthal for us reporting a little bit, if I remember correctly, that it it may have had something to do with the dollars and like wanting an extra year as well. And just like the negotiations just couldn't get done in time for that particular trade. So I don't know. I don't want to rule them out because like we don't really know. And it's like one of those curious cases of like what in the world happened there. Um, so I don't want to rule them out. But I, I'm with you with the Diamondbacks thought. I think that's a really cool thought. It, it's in line with what I was suggesting earlier um, for their outlook. I look at Eduardo Rodriguez and like, yeah, he has some warts that we talked about. He has some history that kind of makes you proceed with some caution. but. Would he start for you in the playoffs? I think he would start for me. Uh, I, he's he, left-hander. Yeah, I could see that happening. So I feel like he definitely makes some noise in this tier. 
and he belongs with the playoff caliber team. So if you're going with the Diamondbacks, I, I will ask to saddle up alongside you because I, I do think that that's the best fit for him. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think you have to. And I think that also the amount of money that he's going to get surely will top what he was going to get in that previous deal with the Tigers anyway. So I don't know. It, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. And I think he's going to end up with a playoff team. Yeah, I think he's kind of like a very typical league average starting pitcher. I don't mean that as a negative at all. I mean that from just a pure skill standpoint. If you look at the there's 104 pitchers who've thrown at least 300 innings the last three seasons, Eduardo Rodriguez, 55th in K-BB percentage, You know, kind of right there with the likes of Aaron Savale, Jamison Tyon, John Gray. Those are all good pitchers. Those are all just solid pitchers. As long as they're healthy, you're pretty happy with what you get. So uh, I'm, I'm really surprised you're on board with my Arizona call uh, as the the final destination for him. But yeah, the, the story behind the the full story that is behind the rejection of the trade to the Dodgers is is one that we will hopefully get someday. But I don't think we actually have a, a a complete understanding of what all transpired that kept him from going to a spot where he would have a chance to make a, a deep playoff run in 2023. Let's talk about Josh Hader for a bit. He's, uh, for me, a ranger when it's all said and done. You look at that Texas team, you say, okay, they got to fortify the starting rotation again. So whether it's Montgomery or Gray or whoever you want to put on that team in that rotation, fine. They have to add to the bullpen. And even if Josh Hader will continue to live by the one-inning-only appearances, I think that works in Texas. Like This organization seems like it's got a, a little more of a old-school vibe compared to other front offices. I know Max Scherzer spoke about that recently. as something he really liked, uh, ending up there with Chris Young as the GM, a former player that probably is a little easier to relate to than some of the other GMs in the league right now. So for me, it's kind of an open and shut. Hater to the Rangers just makes too much sense. There are plenty of other suitors who could use a guy like that in the back of their bullpen. So I guess it's a two-part question. One, where does he land? And two, how do you think Josh Hader ages relative to other elite relievers? What do you think about the Phillies in that same in that same sort of regard as far as old school and you know winning and 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 Dombrowski and kind of fitting that mold? What do you totally think about fits. that? Totally fits. 100%. Yeah. Could definitely see it because they've been adding and adding and adding to that bullpen and I'll, through all that Craig Kimbrell now out of the mix so they kind of have one chair open and if they were to add Hater they could say everybody else is going to mix and match and he's our guy in the ninth and they would theoretically at least have solved the problem for the first half of a multi-year deal maybe the entire thing yeah i like it as a fit for him i i think the consensus is with you with texas on that but to me i I look at philadelphia and i don't know if like hater would want to be in that market it's a tough one particularly for closers and i'm not saying that he will he will or he won't i don't know at all um but that's probably part of the calculus for any player, let alone a closer, though, with going into a market like that because you have a slim margin for error and things could go south very quickly. Um, so that probably is part of it. Uh, as far as how he will age, man, it's so hard to to say with closers because like, we see this all the time where they're completely lights out for so long. Unless you're like Mariano Rivera, there comes a time when nobody sees it coming, but the fall off happens and it's drastic and it sucks (laughs) and there's sometimes there's no turning back either right they're just done um hater i I see him evolving still and i I think he has some would say selfishly some would say proactively but for whatever it is he has taken care of his body and he has not given in to hey i'm going to make sure that i'm healthy for the long the longevity of my career and i'm not going to bend on this and i'm going to pitch the one inning i'm going to do my job and i'm going to do it better than probably anybody else or close to it and i have a lot of respect for him for that and i also think that it's going to help him out long term and i think that's that's part of the reason why maybe he is the exception to what i said earlier about so many guys just completely fall off we don't really know why um he has seemingly thought about this right like he has incorporated other pitches he has he has tried he has mixed and matched he's tried to evolve and he's kept himself healthy so i like his outlook uh for the next few years uh because of those reasons and i and i think he should continue to to really excel and i think that if he wasn't going to 
that time when the Brewers traded him, that would have been his downfall. But he was able to really write the ship and improve and tell everybody that, you know, he, he's still around and, and he's still very good. Yeah, I wonder, is Josh Hader like a left-handed equivalent of Craig Kimbrell? Or both of those guys have had absurd starts to their careers, just off the charts, great strikeout rates. They can lose their command at times. I just wonder if, if that's what it is, where you end up getting, let's say there's five more seasons of Josh Hader where he's mostly healthy. Three of them are very good. One of them is surprisingly bad, and one is kind of up and down. Like That would probably be the most likely forecast I could put out there. That's actually a really good projection, a five-year projection for a reliever. To have three great seasons is, is kind of amazing, so that's part of why uh, he's going to be the, the reliever that cashes in the most, of course, this winter. But yeah, Rangers, Phillies, I feel like we're in good shape covering those two teams. Those both feel like excellent fits for Josh Hader. Uh, not surprisingly, we're back on starting pitchers again. And one, that, another one that opted out of uh, the final year of a deal, which made all the sense in the world. It, it might not be a uh, much higher AAV for Marcus Stroman, but Marcus Stroman's going to get more years because he's one of those guys that can be a nice glue guy in the middle of a rotation. The way he pitches, this is something we talked about when he hit free agency two years ago. The way he pitches should age well, right? It's not overpowering stuff. It's a, it's a good mix of pitches. It's good command. Fields his position well. Another guy that you could make a case for probably a half dozen teams or more pretty easily. And as I looked at all the possible fits and thought about teams that were really good this year that we haven't really put anybody on yet, the Orioles came to mind for me, Will. Because when I look at the Orioles, I see the improvement in Kyle Bradish, the second half from Grayson Rodriguez, uh, John Means finally being healthy after coming back from Tommy John. That's like three good starters right there. But you really want a lot more than that. And if you miss out at the top, Stroman gives you a major upgrade over Kyle Gibson, who's a free agent. And you still have this excess of young position players in the organization that you can use. And you can go out and make a trade. You can be the team that goes out and gets one of Corbin Burns or Tyler Glass now or Dylan Cease or one of the other really high quality starters that could be moved via trade over the course this winter. So I think it's part of, you know, a, a combination of moves the Orioles are going to make to bolster the rotation. But Marcus Stroman really seems like a good fit for Baltimore given their needs. I appreciate you saying that because they were a team that came to my mind for a couple of those pitchers that we mentioned and neglected to mention Baltimore for as potential fits. Um, and I, I think that there are some other ones, too, that make sense for, for Baltimore even further down the list as well. If, if they want to replace some innings uh, with what they're going to potentially lose in free agency and, and have to re recoup. So, yeah, I like that pick. Um, I, a team that comes to mind a little bit as well that you had mentioned earlier was the Twins. And I feel like the Twins, um, I think Dan Hayes did some reporting around the GM meetings, uh, our, our beat writer for the athletic for that team about their budget maybe being lower uh, than, than what it's been and taking a step back, but still they're going to have to uh, address some things there. And I feel like Stroman, he's not going to command that the dollars that the other pitchers in this market may. Um, and he's, he, he has track record though, where you know that he's going to similar to, to what I said before about a couple of guys, he does, he does offer some stability for you, and maybe not in the flashiest of ways, but you know what you're kind of getting from him. And I think that's huge for a lot of these teams because these teams that we're talking about, yes, they all need starting pitching, but they are, they're all kind of like in that niche area of like some need that number one pitcher, but some of them really don't. You know, but I would argue that a lot of them don't need a number one caliber ace. They just need some, some people in there who could uh, be a solid three, a, a good enough number two type. And so he fits that for me. And, and I would like to see a team like the Twins do that. They have a pretty strong clubhouse by all accounts. Um, and I just feel like they, they really need to bust that open in, in, in the AL Central. I mean, like that's there for them to keep going with. Yeah, I like that call. I mean, this is a team that may have to replace Sonny Gray. They're going to need those innings somewhere. I think they finally had the right balance in terms of starting pitcher depth in 2023. So for them to lose a key member of the rotation and not replace them would be a pretty big surprise. I think that's a priority sort of addition for them. Uh, if Sonny Gray doesn't stay in Minnesota, Stroman could be a good fit there as well. Uh, how about another one, another player coming over from Japan, Shoto 
Imanaga coming over. And I think I feel bad every time we have players come over from Japan or Korea. I feel like the narrative around those players is big market or West Coast. That's it. It's big market or West Coast. And usually West Coast big market is like center square on the bingo card. So, oh, it's the Dodgers. And I I hate it when I make the prediction of a player like this going to the Dodgers. But this actually makes a lot of sense because I think if if I have the Dodgers landing Otani and Otani is not going to pitch in 2024 and you think of all the young guys they've got right now, they could be among the teams that trade for someone. That would obviously make sense. I think they want someone else on a multi-year deal that can be a stabilizing presence in the middle of this rotation. That gets exactly what Imanaga brings to the table. And I think there's another guy just a little further down the list they could get as kind of their typical Dodger one-year special in Lucas Giolito. That, to me, is the, the combination of moves they'd want to make. Because if you go with the one-year guy like Giolito, he's gone next year when Otani can pitch again. And you still got Imanaga for the next you know, probably three or four years beyond this season because it's going to take a pretty long-term deal to bring him to the table. So as chalky as it is, that's where I think Shoto Imanaga is going to end up. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm probably going to go pretty on brand with what you said, too, and go with like a West Coast or a big market. Uh, the Angels came to mind as, as kind of like a sneakier team there um, for that reason. I, li- I like him. You know, he, he hasn't he hasn't had the same sort of buzz, unfortunately, for him as Yamamoto, but his strikeout numbers, I think, are actually better. Uh, last time I checked, right, I think he was up to like 175 on like the raw total. His percentage was pretty high as well. Um, you got a couple of sub three or three ERAs in that profile. So th- there's plenty of like. It's just that he has not generated the same amount of buzz as Yamamoto. Um, Yamamoto is a special case, like we outlined earlier. But the Angels come to mind. Um, if the Cubs don't get Yamamoto, this would present another sensible fit for them as well. Um, so I probably will lean Cubs just because I had Yamamoto going somewhere else. And I could see them adding another another pitcher of this type. So, yeah, I, I put him there. And it's kind of a shame that like he hasn't generated that, that as much attention because there there are some things that I really like in his profile. And I think that like once the Yamamoto sweepstakes end, um, I imagine that we get done first, but maybe I'm wrong there. But once that ends, I, I feel like we will get more and more about, about him and just rightfully so as well. And I think that will sort of dictate his market a little bit too. I just keep waiting for that free agent pitcher signing that is the the line in the sand like we believe in this guy we're going to fix this guy signing from the Dodgers that's that's what I'm waiting for I feel like the, the the other chips don't have to fall before that happens this this is one that I think is contingent upon figuring out where Yamamoto and Snell and some of those guys go because the the teams that miss out on those guys are going to kind of feel like Imanaga is a, a good option to help you know, just help in that middle rotation kind of role Let's talk about Reese Hoskins. This this one this one makes me a little sad because it, in in my mind Reese Hoskins should just be a Philly forever. I, I felt I felt like he should have been a part of of their roster this year because he's he's been there for all of it. He kind of fits the vibe with Bryce Harper's move to first, the long term deals for Castellanos and Schwarber. You can kind of see this coming as far as like a inevitable free agency for Hoskins. He brings, brings plenty of power to the table, and he's coming off an ACL injury, so there could be a little bit of a discount. We'll see how it plays out. There's not a lot of players like him available on the market, and I think Hoskins is better than a lot of the, the older mashers that you see getting like one- and two-year deals. I, I think this, this could be a sneaky good signing for a team that's been light offensively. So for the Brewers fans who are mad at me from earlier in the show when I said Matt Chapman's probably not going to happen, I'm willing to throw them a bone and say, Reese Hoskins to Milwaukee actually makes a lot of sense. I don't think Jake Bowers, who they just got uh, prior to the non-tender deadline, I don't think Jake Bowers is an everyday player in Milwaukee. I think Reese Hoskins is the kind of guy that would actually be an upgrade for them, and his thump would play particularly well in the heart of that lineup. You stole the words out of my mouth. I I was going to go Milwaukee as well. So maybe we see a little bit less for him um, than we otherwise would have saw from another like 30 plus home run season out of him. Um, so the fact that he that could contribute to his market a little bit, make the price tag come down a little bit for a team like Milwaukee. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily bet on it for the Brewers based on their history, but we did see them um, obviously add Santana. They weren't satisfied at that position, so they did something about it. 
Uh, they addressed it. They they didn't just settle for like Rowdy Telez coming back and being the guy. They wanted something more. Um, so to your point about Bowers, like I could see them having Bowers and, and maybe believing that he could supply maybe what Rowdy Telez was giving them, but also them saying to themselves, look, Doug, this is also an area where we need more from and, and we can get this guy and he can give us that that power threat that we've been desperately lacking. And not for nothing, but as Ken, Ken Rosenthal reported around the trade deadline shortly thereafter, you know, they had some interest in Pete Alonso, of course. And uh, like you mentioned, the market, there's not a whole lot of guys who are offering a, a, like this elite or very strong power outlook, this power profile at a first base this year. Um, Alonso is obviously the big trade ship. Um, I'm not sure if he's going anywhere, but Hoskins is the guy in the free agent market that you can get, um, which doesn't cost you anything but money. So. Yeah, I think long story short, uh, the Brewers deserve to be in the conversation. I don't know if I will bet on it, but I like them as my pick here a little bit reluctantly. I could talk yeah, myself into it. You look at bottom five teams in terms of projection at first base right now. Rockies starting from the bottom. Brewers, Pirates, Nationals, Cubs. Oh, there's the Cubs again. Like, it, yeah. How much are they going to spend? Like, How aggressive are they going to be? Could they add Chapman and Reese Hoskins? Sure, it's possible that you could get those upgrades at both spots potentially. Uh, but I kind of think Hoskins and Chapman end up you know, splitting the difference between those two clubs. And you, know, you could kind of you could pencil in a few different clubs here. I, the, the other fit that would be pretty interesting: keep Reese Hoskins in Pennsylvania, send him to Pittsburgh. There's a team that could actually use some help at first base. I think they have some interest in a reunion with Carlos Santana, though, too. So who knows if they actually want to kind of spend up a little bit and, and get that possible upgrade. Uh, the next player I want to talk about with you is Jamer Candelario. And I think Candelario is kind of interesting because he's a fallback option to the teams that miss out on Matt Chapman. And when you look at their projections from Steamer, they're closer than you'd expect them to be because of the disappointment in Chapman's 2023 numbers. Candelario is not the defender Matt Chapman is. Very few players at third base are that sort of defender. Where do you see Jamer Candelario landing? I penciled him in for Toronto under the assumption that Matt Chapman's gone and it's going to be a much shorter deal than what Chapman gets. Yeah, Toronto came to me for that reason as well. Uh, there's a lot of teams, I think, that 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 probably will be in the mix for him and that I think have already expressed some interest in him. Um, he could even go back to the team that he's recently played for, even whether that's the Cubs or the Nationals. We mentioned the Cubs on pretty much everybody, but it mm -hmm. it makes sense, right? And so uh, those those are options as well. Um, he kind of fits like the Mets profile for like maybe we want an upgrade at third base because we don't know exactly what we have in Brett Beatty and Ronnie Mauricio and where to play these guys, how much to play them, what they'll give us. But at the same time, I, I he's an everyday guy that he's going to get an opportunity that's solidifies himself as the everyday option without somebody breathing down his neck. I feel like in triple A or on the big league roster as like the next guy, uh, I think he could do better than that on his own. Um, so I, I see that as a, somewhere where it's a clear path for the playing time. Um, and, and third base could be his, his place. I think he deserves it based on what he showed in the past and his ability to rebound. Um, so, yeah I, yeah, I think the Blue Jays probably make the most sense for me just because they're going to have to address the third base situation, it looks like, uh, without Chapman. So he comes to mind as probably the heavy favorite. So I um, hate to keep agreeing with you on a couple of these, but I, I just think that that's, that's where I lined up when I drew it out. Um, and I just, like I mentioned, there, there are some other teams. I just don't know how serious I would put those conversations at. Yeah, I, I think you could see it happening with a lot of different teams, but the same teams looking at Matt Chapman might also be looking at Candelario as kind of a fallback option. Justin Turner, probably the the third option if you're looking for a veteran player to plug in temporarily, at least at that spot. Uh, I mentioned the Dodgers with Lucas Giolito just a few moments ago. Do you have any other particular good fits for Giolito? I mean, I keep thinking about the Padres as a team that will need to find some innings and maybe they could you know, consider themselves a a bargain bin shopper, at least. We know they've, they've got some payroll-related issues they might have to work through this winter, but they also need five starting pitchers, and Giolito, if he's willing to do a shorter deal, could actually be a good fit there, too. Yeah, him and uh, Flaherty, I kind of put in the, in the same sort of like similar conversation in my mind of like guys who could 
do a couple of different things with their market. Like maybe they say to themselves, they can get creative with like a short-term contract and, and give themselves a couple of outs where if they start to perform back to their levels from previous years, they could really capitalize on their value and their talent level again. And then also they, they could make the move of like signing like a three-year deal of like a safety net kind of thing. That's a little bit modestly priced. Um, I lean more toward like a short-term deal for both of those guys. And then, saying to themselves, like, we're going to get right here and vault into what we should have been, uh, the conversation that we should have been headed toward this year. Um, whether that's the year, like next year or the year after that, I don't know, but that's what I would do. As far as fits, um, a lot of the teams that we mentioned for a lot, for these, these pitchers come to mind because like they can afford it as far as depth goes. If something goes wrong, like Atlanta, for instance, can afford the fact that like, okay, if he's not, uh, 100% or if he's not giving us like his uh, best percentile of outcomes, that's okay because we're still pretty good and we still have other options. So uh, a team like that makes a little bit of sense from that end. So really any team that that has uh, already that group around you where you could sort of hedge your bets a little bit, uh, that would be my play for, for those types of guys. Um, guys, you know, teams that are looking for like floor type options and building out who already have maybe like that ace caliber and and they're like that playoff level team. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the the market right now for uh, Lucas Giolito. I, I'm genuinely curious to know like how many adjustments he's going to make to try to get back to his pre-2023 levels because I didn't think he would fall off nearly this quickly. There's a lot of talent there and uh, where he lands might kind of dictate just how, how excited I am about his prospects of making it happen again in 2024. Uh, one more player within the top 15, and we'll get to some bargain bin players before we go. I'm curious about Jung-Hoo Lee as maybe a, a fallback for the Bellinger suitors because he looks like the next best option as far as being a capable center fielder. I don't know if Lee's defense projects quite as good as Bellinger's, but at least in the beginning part of a deal, given his age, he just turned 25 in August, Lee could be the kind of player that handles center field for a couple of years before eventually moving to a corner. That's a great you know, patient profile, low K rate, pretty good contact quality as well. Um, so is it as simple as, well, if we have Bellinger going to the Yankees, then Lee ends up with the Giants and, and vice versa? I, I think so, yeah. I think that's probably a safe assumption. Um, uh, the Blue Jays also come to mind for him too, uh, just because just uh, same thing with like the Kiermaier effect, the same thing that we're talking about with Bellinger, like they're going to, if they miss out on him, they're going to, or if they can't replace him, if they lose him, uh, they're going to have to look for a replacement. And you could do worse, though, of course, than somebody who is playing center field in this market. We talked about it earlier, like there's just not that many guys who who had that kind of profile that, that points to uh, solid defense plus some capabilities on the offensive end as well. And it looks like this guy could do that uh, based on his KBO profile and his history there. We'll see. I mean, some some guys come over and they just can't replicate their success, um, unfortunately. Uh, so we'll see. But he's young enough, too, where maybe um, he has a better chance of doing that. Uh, so the Blue Jays come to mind uh, in addition to the teams that we talked about for Bellinger, uh, who, who if they miss out, they could they could make a move for for him as well. We should talk about a few fits further down the list. I know you've been trying to find options that work, especially for the Mets. And in that, you probably have unearthed a few really interesting free agents that aren't in this top 15 that we talked about. So uh, who have you really noticed as possible good bargains, relatively speaking, in this free agent class? The, the one thing that comes to mind for me is Seth Lugo. I, I really like his ability. Like, I think he showed that he could really pitch at a high level as a starting pitcher. And I think, I think it went a little bit unnoticed when he signed that contract with them. Um, and he didn't have like, from what I understand, like his market was split into like three groups where there were some teams that looked at him as a reliever, some teams that looked at him as, okay, you could be a hybrid type of guy for us. And there was a select group that were like, Hey, you want a rotation spot? Come and come and sign with us and compete for it. And we'll give you the shot. And the Padres seemingly were one of those teams and he he bet on himself big time with that and it worked out and i feel like some teams like the the, the braves even with their signing of lopez um teams are looking at that as like hey like let's jump on that that's 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 something where we could maybe save a little money here and jump on somebody that has shown that they can log some innings and has good stuff 
So I like Lugo. Um, I, I think his market is bigger than like what a lot of people would imagine just because his he's not going to command the dollar figures that some of those other pitchers that we were talking about will. But at the end of the day, he may provide similar value to, to a couple of those guys, particularly with the amount of innings that he may throw. Like we talked about Schnell with like not as many innings and like maybe not having to worry about that. Lugo, the same thing. Like he's had some some like a little bit of injury issues from the past, but um, if you're looking at somebody that doesn't have a whole lot of wear and tear on them, he jumps out too. So, you know, it, it's an interesting case. Um, so that's one guy. The other guy is Waka for me. Like, I think I was telling you privately, like I was, I was doing like a deep dive on him just because he falls into that category that like, Hey, you know, I'm not saying he's going to the Mets, but like the Mets are looking for pitchers like a Severino type, a bounce back or guys that can give them innings like a Waka type. So, I was looking at him and his last two years are like eerily similar to Evaldi, like, like really similar. And it was just striking to me. Like, just, I don't think of that, but like you look at the ERA plus it's like 125, 126. And I was like, Whoa, like that's, that's a little bit higher than I thought. Um, so I give that guy some credit. Um, and I think that he, he may pulled out an offer that, that maybe people are a little bit surprised by. And I'd be interested to see if it's, better and um in terms of dollar figure than the option that that was declined on him yeah yeah i, I think waka he falls into this interesting group of players that plenty of teams are are trying to unlock it right it's been the story with him forever can he can he turn the corner can he be a quality mid-rotation starter or is he more of a swingman that is a little better than a typical swingman and i think he's pushing more towards the mid-rotation ceiling these last two seasons, especially with the ratios being really good. I think there's always been some concerns about homers in these last four or five seasons now with the approach he's using, but he's missing bats pretty consistently, low 20% K rates, doesn't usually have a big walk rate, uh, plenty to like in, the, in, the, in that range for Waka. I do think the park will matter a lot. He's got to find the right fit park-wise. I think San Diego was a great fit for him in that regard. Uh, so maybe staying with the Padres could end up being the, the best possible fit for him. But he does seem like he's a little bit underrated at this point. Uh, for me, it's Tim Anderson. Like, I just I have a hard time believing someone could be as good as he was in really a three plus year stretch prior to this season that he could fall off this quickly. So much of it seems like it's his shoulder. If his shoulder's healthy, I could see a nice bounce back from him. You know, we've seen the reports that he's willing to play second base as he looks for a new fit in free agency. but. Uh, I could see Tim Anderson bouncing back so long as he's actually healthy. It just felt like 2023 was absolute rock bottom for him. And I'm amazed that it turned sour as quickly as it did. I know the profile always had a little bit of risk just in terms of how much of a free swinger he is at the plate. But at age 30, he shouldn't be done just yet unless he's, in fact, just hurt kind of indefinitely. We are going to go. Uh, a reminder, check out that full set of rankings. It's a lot of good write-ups, good stuff in there from that crew. Theathletic.com slash baseball show gets you in the door. Uh, you can find Will on X at Will Sam. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Will, thank you so much for joining me today. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, and we'll catch up again soon. All right, time, Derek. Love chatting with you, man. Enjoy the holiday. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We are back with you next week. <laughs>